Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. As you're doing so, I just want to thank you for the opportunity just to stand here to proclaim uh, the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, it is a joy, it's a privilege to gather with God's people, uh, to read, to study, uh, to see our glorious God uh, in Scripture together. Uh, be praying for our pastor, his family. As you know, if you've been on social media, they're on vacation, uh, relaxing, enjoying good weather out in Alabama. Um, Again, just want to thank you. My name is Tony. If you're a first-time guest here, uh, I'm not the pastor here. I serve as a Sunday school director. I work in the sound booth. Uh, it's just a joy to serve uh, God's people alongside God's people here at First Baptist Thibodeau. So uh, if you have your Bible open to Romans chapter 1, you may stand with me as we read God's Word together. Uh, we're going to read verses 16 through 32 together this morning. So Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, verse 24, God gave them up, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Join me as we pray together. Father, again, we are thankful. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather with your people. We're thankful to be able to sing songs that make much of you, make much of Christ. Uh, Father, we're thankful for the work of Christ on the cross. As we consider this morning the unrighteous man apart from Christ, uh, how depraved and how lost Father, would you, would you work in our hearts a great love for the gospel this morning, a great uh, thankfulness for the work that you have done through Christ for us. Father, for those of us who are, who are believers this morning, those of us who are saved this morning, Father, may we see, we see who we are apart from Christ and be even more thankful for the work of Christ on our behalf. 
for those in this room who, who are lost, Father, as, as we are exposed to what mankind looks like apart from Christ, who mankind is and apart from Christ, may you open uh, hearts to receive this great gospel with eagerness, with gladness. And so speak through me, speak to me. For the sake of your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of today's sermon is The Unrighteous Man and His Only Hope. The Unrighteous Man and His Only Hope. People say that a man's best friend is a dog. Yes. What about women? What do, what do people say is a woman's best friend? Diamonds. Diamonds, yes. You're all on the same page. Yeah. Women are nudging their husbands right now. Husbands are rolling their eyes. Yes. People say, commercials tell us, advertisements tell us that a, a woman's best friend is diamonds. And so we think about diamonds. We walk into a jewelry store. Uh, there's jewelry everywhere. Everything is shining, sparkling. And it's truly breathtaking if you just walk into a jewelry store. Uh, you begin to peruse, you begin to look through the cases, and, and perhaps you see a beautiful diamond. Uh, it's sparkling, it's shining. Uh, and then you ask to see that diamond, perhaps your, your engagement ring shopping, whatever the occasion is. You see the diamond, you see the ring, uh, and you ask the jeweler to see it. All right, and there's a picture of some diamonds up here, and he pulls it out. What a good jeweler does is not just put those diamonds onto the glass case. Because yes, they're beautiful. Yes, they're lovely to look at. But what a good jeweler will always do is he will take a piece of black velvet, and he'll put that black velvet upon that case, and then he'll put the diamonds on top of that. And what happens when the jeweler does that is in that one moment, what was beautiful just became breathtaking. In, a, in laying that black velvet, what happens is it seems that every light in that building is now focused and shining through that beautiful diamond. Brothers and sisters, just as the beauty of a diamond is enhanced when we see it against its black backdrop, so is the beauty of the gospel enhanced when we understand the black backdrop upon which it lies. And what Paul does for us this morning in this text is he places that black backdrop down for us to behold the beauty of the gospel. He paints black, black, black so that we might understand the beauty of the gospel in which we hope in, in which we trust in, in which we are saved by according to verse 16. Paul, in the, in the previous 16 verses, has introduced us to the gospel, told us about its importance. He talked about his eagerness to proclaim it and his obligation that he had to the gospel, to any who would listen. And then in verse 16, as we read this morning, Paul tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Not that the gospel contains or the gospel resembles the power of salvation, but no, the gospel is the very power of God for salvation. He says this, this salvation would come to any who would believe, any who would have faith. Most of us are probably very familiar with Romans 1.16. And then Paul would continue in verse 17, you notice as we read, that the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel and that it's revealed by faith for faith. And what is interesting is this. When Paul speaks of the righteousness of God in verse 17, verse 18, he introduces us to, notice what he says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. And so what Paul does is very interesting. Verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed. And in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness, all unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what's truly interesting is while he mentions righteousness in verse 17, we'll finish chapter one, we'll, we'll cover chapter one today. There's no more mention of righteousness. 
All of chapter 2, there's no mention of righteousness. Chapter 3, the first 20 verses deal again with unrighteousness of unrighteous people. And it's not until chapter 3, verse 21, where Paul begins to pick up the theme of the righteousness of God again. And so what I, what I want us to see, what, what Paul is trying to get us to see is this black backdrop, which is called the unrighteousness of man. R.C. Sproul says, as he looks at chapter 1, he says, If we can make it through Paul's entire list without feeling pains of conscience, we are psychopaths. And so Paul wants us to feel the heaviness of unrighteousness, of what the wrath of God is being poured out for. He, he wants us to understand that we aren't just innocent people who happen to do bad things occasionally. Paul wants us to understand just how great the wrath of God is against unrighteousness. He, he wants you and I to understand just how unrighteous we are apart from Christ. And so as we look at this text together, as we study this text together, I, I pray that you are filled with great humility, as am I. I pray that you're, you're praying to the Holy Spirit, God, please convict us of our sins. I, I hope that our hearts are moved toward repentance. I hope we're encouraged by the great grace of God. And I also hope that we're convicted. Or convicted and we're, we're guilt, given hearts that have great burden for the lost. All of that can be found in this text. Whether you're a believer or not in the room this morning, you and I will be exposed for who we are apart from Christ. We'll be like Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve stand naked and afraid in front of a holy God. As we read about our unrighteousness, we, we, will, we will find ourselves in the same predicament. But, but as we will see this morning, God's grace is bigger than our unrighteousness. Oh, that's so gracious of God. His grace is bigger than any of our shame. And so I have two points I want us to look at this morning. These two points are the unrighteousness of the unrighteous man. And then point number two, the righteousness of the only righteous man. And so we begin with point number one, the unrighteousness of the unrighteous man. In verse 18, notice what Paul says again. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who, uh, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And again, Paul's saying the wrath of God is being revealed when he just said the righteousness of God is being revealed. In the gospel, we see this uncovering or this unveiling of both God's righteousness or his uh, and the wrath that he has for sin. And he says those it's against those who suppress the truth. And perhaps you're in the room this morning and you're like, I'm a pretty good dude, you know? Like, I'm a good citizen. I pay my taxes. I cut my grass. It doesn't get too long. I help little old ladies get their groceries to their car, you know? No, 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 no. What, what Paul does in this text is shows us that there are no one, there's no individual who is righteous. Now think about the Old Testament, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. And this is what the psalmist says in verse 3. All mankind have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or a filthy rag. Romans 3, 23, all of us probably have this verse memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are to understand exactly who we are apart from Christ. And, and Paul says it is against this foolishness, against this, this unrighteousness, against these filthy rags, against the sinners upon the wrath of God is approaching, is coming. He says it's the unrighteous who by their very unrighteousness suppress the truth. To, to suppress means to, to restrain or to, to hold back. And when I think about the word suppress, I think about a tent. How many of you have ever been tent camping? 
to, to me, I love tent camping. I haven't done it in a very long time. Uh, but think about, imagine we're all going tent camping together, right? Uh, we pick a beautiful weekend when it's a little bit cooler than what it is right now outside. The, the first step, when you get to your place you're going to camp at, you look for a flat surface. You don't want any rocks. You don't want any branches sticking up. It's going to make a miserable weekend. Uh, you set up your tent. You have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Everything goes fine. There's fire. There's food. There's games. There's laughter. The, the worst part of vacation is always the fact that you have to come back home to reality, right? It's, it's nice to just escape reality. But when you're tent camping, now I say this because I know some people are professionals in this room at, at folding tents, uh, but most of us aren't. Some people are really good at it. To me, the worst part about tent camping is when you have to pack up the tent. And you're laughing, so you've been there. Man, you, you pull out this, the poles and you, you fold it, you roll it, you twist it, and then you put it in that tent bag, and it's like this thing is way too big for this tent bag. And so then you unfold it, and so then you try, you know, maybe if I twist it first, maybe if I fold it next, maybe if I, you know, and you just begin to, like, configure it whatever way you can. And no matter what you do, it seems like it will not fit back into that original container. And, and so if you're like me, the, the next best thing, what I turn to is duct tape. Right? You know, you just, you start stepping on it, squeezing out the air, and you twist it and fold it, and whatever fits in, fits in, and then you begin to just apply duct tape. Unleash the fury of duct tape. You've been there, because you're laughing. I mean, it looks like a busted can of biscuits. Like, you didn't have any room when you began the journey, and now you're trying to pack everything in with this, you know, way too big tent. This is what Paul is saying that we have done in our unrighteousness with God's truth. We've taken something that is supposed to fit in a container. We've taken a tent that is way too big for its container. And we've tried to suppress the truth about God in a container that is way too small. We've tried to contain it, to deny it, to suppress it. But what we learn about God's word, about God's truth, is that it will not be restrained. It will not be held down. It will not be suppressed. And so you may be asking yourself, what is this truth? If we're guilty of suppressing, if all of mankind is guilty of suppressing the truth about God, what is this truth? I think about Jesus in the great priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 17. He prays out to God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just a few chapters before in John chapter 14, verse 6, most of us know this verse. I am the way, the truth truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so what Paul teaches us here in Romans chapter 1 is that what we are guilty of, what all of mankind is guilty of, apart from Christ, apart from the work, working of God in our hearts, is suppressing who God is, suppressing the truth about who he is, suppressing the fact that he is a creator and we are created beings. And some of you may be asking or maybe have asked this question in the past. Maybe you're like, I'm convinced I'm a sinner. And you're like, what about the innocent man in the jungles of Africa? Have you ever heard that question before? Maybe asked that question. And Paul, Paul anticipates such a question. Look at what he says in verses 19 through 20. He says, for what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For all his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And then listen, so they are without excuse. Paul says there is not a single man or woman who has walked this earth that has an excuse for not believing in a holy God, for not trusting in a holy God. Paul says God has revealed himself throughout creation. Paul says all a person has to do is to look around them and see the beauty of this world and know that there is a holy God who created this. You look at the, the vastness of the ocean, the, the majestic mountains, the deep valleys, and Paul says this, this is evidence that there is a God who created all things. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. All of nature cries out to us. There is a God, and he is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. 
That's what the trees are crying out to us right now. I know in South Louisiana, it's hard to think, man, God created all this, you know. There's no mountains, you know. There's no great valleys. No, no, no. All of creation is crying out to us this morning. There's a God who is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. David says in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Probably doesn't take much convincing to you this morning, but brothers and sisters, what we see around us is not the result of two rocks colliding after millions and millions of attempts to get a single cell that would after millions and millions of attempts create a, a second cell. This is not what we see around us. We look around us at all of nature and know that what we see is the result of the goodness and graciousness of our God. Paul says only God in his eternal power and divine nature could create anything. Only God saying, let there be light. We learned this in Genesis chapter 1. Would light appear in this world? Only by God being like a potter with clay, molding mountains into place, digging valleys into place, would anything exist? Only by God breathing out stars, only by God kneeling to this earth to fashion man out of dirt when mankind exists. This is what Paul is showing us this morning. These are the things that the unrighteous people are guilty of suppressing. He says, and by all of this, seeing all of this nature, Mankind is without excuse. When, when we see creation, know that it leads us guilty as charged for our ignorance. Here's another quote if you want to write this down. For us to demand a sign that God is real after being placed in this world is even greater proof of our ignorance and our depravity. And so now that Paul has proven that it is impossible to not know that there is a God, he then gives us the sad commentary of the state of man separated from God's grace. Look, look again at verses 21 through 22. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Brothers and sisters, we, apart from God's grace, are without excuse. There is a holy God, and with this knowledge, what Paul tells us, this knowledge should cause us to, to bow to this earth and to worship a holy God. God, thank you for what you have done. What Paul says, this knowledge causes us to become prideful. Instead of worshiping God, it pu pushes us further away in our pride. It pushes us away to suppress this truth. We refuse to worship him. We refuse to honor him with our works. We in our sin, he says, have claimed by this that we are wise. Paul is saying that the unrighteous man, apart from God's grace in Christ, is beating his chest. You don't have the truth. I have the truth. Paul says we're beating our chest, that I have the real truth. The problem is... Wisdom is built off of truth. And so just like in our ordinary world, if you see someone uh, making things up and then believing wholeheartedly in these things, we don't call them wise, we call them delusional. In the same way, what Paul says is, this is what mankind does apart from the grace of God. In our unrighteousness, we become delusional. That, that I'm doing this. Your truth stinks. I don't want it. I have the real truth. Let me beat my chest. And what it does is it causes us to be delusional to reality. Paul says, claiming to be wise, we became fools. Th this word fools is where the, the Greek word here is where we get our English word moron from. It means stupid. Claiming to be wise, Paul says, all we've done is is admitted our ignorance. We have become morons. We have become stupid, trying to suppress the truth. We are simply fools. And he says this foolishness, verse 21, leads us to become futile in our thinking. The word there means 
pointless, it means fruitless. And so what Paul says, in our rebellion against the Holy God, we have dumbed ourselves to the real truth. We, we've come closer and, and dove deeper into delusion instead of reality. And Paul says in verse 21, the surprising effect to suppressing the truth, our foolish hearts were darkened. They were darkened, all of mankind, apart from God's grace, boasting in their ignorance, denying the very existence of God, find that their hearts are darkened. How darkened, Paul tells us in the next six verses, Paul uses two words back to back in repetition. Uh, the first is this word exchange. But Paul shows us that what we do in our ignorance, what we do in our foolishness, what we do in our unrighteousness is that we exchange something. We exchange something really awesome for something really poor. We, it's like we've gone to the pawn shop with the greatest thing in this world and we left with nothing. He says this three times that we've exchanged. Notice verse 22 again. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And then now to verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then look at verses 26 and 27. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Brothers and sisters, this is the great horrific exchange. Paul says unrighteous people, which is all of mankind apart from the grace of God, have committed the highest level degree of sin against the holy God. We've taken God's glory to the pawn shop for something temporary. He says, we've exchanged the glory of the everlasting God for images resembling mortal or perishable man. See the irony here. We're trading what is immortal, what is imperishable for something that perishes so quickly. Paul says, not only that, he says, we've taken the lie. We've exchanged the truth for a lie. We've chosen to worship, he says, and serve the things that God's created rather than the Creator Himself. And then he says in the third exchange, they have exchanged the natural relations of what God has intended for those being unnatural. Listen, rather than being consumed with God, they become consumed with passions. Rather than placing their shame upon the shame bearer, who is Jesus, who takes away our shame, look, it says they embrace and commit shameless acts with each other. Do you see the foolishness of our decisions to exchange God and his glory for the things of this earth? There's these three great exchanges. I use the illustration of money. Uh, how many of you have ever talked about money growing on trees? We can all relate there. We've all said that phrase probably. Man, if only money grew on trees. Or your kids are like, hey, I need, you know, a new game system. Well, money doesn't grow on trees. Imagine for a moment that money did grow on trees. Whole different society. But anyway, and let's say your money tree, you can go out to your money tree right now after church, of course, not, not literally right now. You get home today and you need groceries. Groceries are expensive. Inflation is high, you know. Everything's going up. So you go up to your money tree and you pull off two, $300 to take to get groceries. And then you're like, man, I could really use some new clothes. So then, you know, you go back out to the money tree and you pick more off. And let's say, everybody loves crawfish. Most of you like crawfish. Like we don't have to pay for crawfish anymore. We just come to the money tree and now we get crawfish. You know, we, we pull it off and take it for crawfish. All right. Let's say this money tree gets us a million dollars a year. One million dollars. And you don't do anything. You don't have a job anymore. You, there's no re reason to work. And you just go out day after day. And at the end of the year, you've made a million dollars from chopping, from, not from chopping, from, from pulling from this tree. And now let's say one day you're sitting on your sofa, drinking a cup of coffee, watching TV, watching Netflix, binging on your favorite show. You don't have a job. You're just chilling. And you get a knock at the door. 
And a, a young man is at the door. First, you're aggravated. Like, who, who visits people without calling or texting anymore? You know, so like, who is this? You're frantically looking. But anyway, you, you answer the door. Here's a young man. And this young man says this. I will give you $20 right now if you let me cu cut down your money tree. My money tree's rotten. It's not producing anymore. Here's $20 and let me chop down your money tree. And all of you would say, <laughs> wrong. Paul says we have all said yes. Yes, $20. And I don't have to go out and sweat and pick these money off the tree anymore. I can just sit on my sofa and I can recline and watch more Netflix and more news or whatever it is I like to do. Paul says what we have done is said, yes, I will gladly take the here and now, the temporary, the $20 now in exchange for something that is so infinite, if you will. This is what we have done in our depravity apart from God. You, you see the stupidity of such a thing because you all chuckle and you're like, no, I'm not giving up the tree. But this is what we have done before a holy God. We've suppressed the truth. We've exchanged what is so beautiful and brilliant in a holy God, and we've exchanged it for a single $20 bill, for a single temporary thing. Paul brings up this, this imagery back to Genesis chapter 1. We, we've made images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He, he goes back to Genesis thinking about exchanging the truth for a lie. We think of Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they were in God's presence. They were fellowshipping with God day and day and day and day. And then they exchanged the truth for a lie. And they would rather worship and serve the creature rather than God himself. Brothers and sisters, this is not new to mankind. All of mankind has, has suffered with this horrific disease of choosing the things of this world over a holy God. Do you see how foolish we are in our depravity, in our unrighteousness? We, we've traded, Paul says next, what is God meant for good sexually. We've twisted it. We've perverted it to something that Paul says is unnatural. We, we see all this in Genesis chapter 19 this morning in Sunday school. And, and perhaps you're like, you know, I'm me, you know, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm pure. I haven't done that. And you, you just think about the outside world, particularly Paul mentions homosexuality here. But I think about the statistics of pornography in our society today. I, th I think about the statistics of pornography in the church today. I think about the affairs that are happening throughout this country right now, throughout this world right now. Uh, we know that, that sexual sin is not something new to us. This is a, a mankind issue. And Paul says we've taken what was good and we have twisted it. We've perverted it into something that is not good, unnatural, he says. And notice particularly, Paul mentions homosexuality. And we want to be careful here, because obviously homosexuality is sin. But let us not, let, not, let us not look at Romans chapter 1 and be like, God doesn't like homosexuality. If that's the only thing you get out of today's text, you've missed the point of Paul's sermon. You've missed the point of Paul's writing. In fact, to, to, to make sure we don't, don't stop there, Paul continues in verse 29, after Miss Mentioning homosexuality, look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. By the time we get to the end of chapter 1, if we're, not, if we're only looking at the sin of others, we've missed the entire point of Paul's chapter here. Paul says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And somehow, if you think that you are still innocent after reading all of this, in Romans chapter 2, Paul deals with the self-righteous. Paul calls the self-righteous out by telling them that they are just as unrighteous as the people in Romans chapter 1. 
This is the great exchange. We've exchanged the good things of God. We've exchanged God himself for the things of this world. Well, I want us to notice carefully what Paul says God does in response to this exchange. I told you that three times the word exchange was used. Now we see three times the way God responds to this exchange. So look back at verse 23. They've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts. Then verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, listen, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Three times, Paul says that we have exchanged something good for something bad. And three times, Paul says this, God gave them up. I don't know if there's four more terrifying words than those four words. God gave them up. Have on the screen if you want to write this down. What greater tragedy can man experience than to be separated from God by him giving us the very things we want? God gave them up. This is exactly what God does when we continue to deny him, continue to seek him, and rather seek our own unrighteousness. If you're a parent, you understand this. For, for a season, you're, you're telling your kid, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to keep you safe. But there comes a day when that child has to learn on their own. And, and as a parent, it's one of the hardest things we ever have to do, right? To, to watch your child do something that will either bring them harm or even bring them further away from the love that is found in the home. It's a heartbreaking thing. And this is what Paul says that God does to those who continue in their unrighteousness. That God gave them up. We see God's given us creation. He's given us his word. He's given us his son. And we've continued in our unrighteousness to suppress the truth. Continue to deny him. Continue to worship the things of this earth rather than the creator himself. And the result is he allows us to have the very things we think will please us. He, he allows us to have the very things he think will make us, that we think will make us happy. The things that we think will bring fulfillment to our lives. But what this text teaches us, listen, is that when that happens, all we do is spiral further down into sin, further down into unrighteousness, further away from a holy God, and further into unhappiness and a life filled with, with no pleasure at all. In fact, in our futility, we're searching for pleasure and happiness that will only lead to destruction. Many of you can testify to the complete misery of your life apart from a holy God, seeking to find satisfaction in sex, drugs, alcohol, ends in destruction. People who are in, in states of addiction never find pleasure in the things that they're pursuing after. We just spiral further down into discontentment. Paul would say later in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In our futility, again, we're, this wage is happening. All of us are familiar with wages. We go to work Monday through Friday, whatever your work schedule is, and every other week for me, every other Thursday, we wait for that paycheck. We wait for the day that we're compensated for all we did, all the waking up early, all the sweating, all the staying late, all the hassle, all the frustration. It's all worth it on the day that that paycheck arrives. 
We long for the day. Our entire lives are built upon what happens on that payday. If you make a lot of money, you can have an abundance in lifestyle. If you have a little money, you're very tight with your lifestyle. But all, all of your life depends upon what happens in that pay period. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that there is this paycheck coming that ends in death. The wages of sin is death. That for those who pursue a life of unrighteousness, those who try to find pleasure and happiness in the things of this world apart from God, will one day face death. Both physical death, but also spiritual death. Imagine working for two weeks or whatever your pay period is, and then you get a check and it's, it's zero. It's nothing. Th that would be better than receiving a paycheck that ends in death. Paul says the wages of sin is death. Everything we see in Romans chapter 1, this life will end in death. Unrighteousness leads to death. In fact, Paul would continue in Romans chapter 3. He's like, if you don't think you're unrighteous yet, he says, I'll pull 10 verses out of the Old Testament. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues are used to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In the paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is, listen, no fear of God before their eyes. This is all of mankind. This is you and I before the gracious love of Christ. Again, at, like Adam and Eve, we're standing here naked and ashamed as we see ourselves for who we are. There's no righteousness, Paul says, where you and I can hang on to apart from God himself. We, we look at this life, we look at Romans 1, we look at Romans chapter 3, and we're like, what do we do now? There is a holy God, how do I get to him? My life is unrighteous, how do I get to this holy God? We're, we're hopeless, we're helpless. We're pitiful people, Romans chapter 1 and 3 and 2 tells us. There is nothing good in us, Paul says. And if the gospel stopped there, it would be a very miserable gospel. If this was the end of the sermon, I'm like, all right, go home. Man, like this is going to be a bummer of a day, right? No, 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 no. Paul says, this gospel is glorious. This is the black backdrop upon which the diamond of the gospel is being put on. And here is the beauty of the gospel. There is one man who was righteous. There is one man who now is still righteous. There is one man who is not like Romans chapter 1 at all. And Paul says, our hope has to be in that one man. And his name is Jesus. So this is point number two. The righteousness of the only righteous man. Not only is the wrath of God revealed, and we just saw in verses 18 through 32, but remember the very righteousness of God has been revealed in the gospel. That was verse 17. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And I told you, he wouldn't pick back up on this theme until chapter three. So notice chapter three, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Listen, verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, but also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen, the point of the gospel is this. There is nothing you can do to earn salvation. Past, present, or future. But God 
Ephesians 2, being rich in love, being rich in mercy, sent his son. John chapter 1 says that he, he sent his son that would become flesh and to dwell among us. He entered into humanity with sorry. He entered into humanity with complete humility. He entered into humanity with complete humility and kept the law to perfection. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Here's a man who remained sinless from birth to the day he died, and even still today. He came to this earth as a pure and spotless lamb without blemish. He came to this earth, he died a gruesome death for fake crimes that you and I might have life. We see in the gospel an even greater exchange happening. So we exchange the glory of God for the things of this world. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. We exchange the, the things that God meant for good, particularly sexually, and we've converted those and per perverse those. And Paul says there's an even greater exchange that happens. Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross, and on that cross, we see both the wrath of God and the righteousness of God happening. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a beautiful exchange. Jesus takes on our unrighteousness. He bears the wrath that is due, that has been revealed, verse 18 says, for our sin, and he in his grace gives us his righteousness. That's an exchange worth exchanging. The gospel teaches us that the righteousness of God is poured out upon those who believe, those who would rid themselves of the lie and embrace the truth, those who would rid themselves of idol worship and worship a great and holy God, and those who would trust in Christ, who would die in their place. This is grace. This is grace. We see based upon Romans chapter 1, there is nothing merited in us where we're like, man, like God should be nice to me. No, no, no. Romans chapter 1 tells us there is nothing nice in us. What we see in salvation is grace. Paul David Tripp, if you celebrate grace, you're not celebrating a theology. You are celebrating a person. The perfect sacrificial lamb, Savior, King, Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is what makes the gospel sparkle. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But God says, I will give it freely to those who trust in Christ. And so as we head to a conclusion this morning, the question is this. What is our response to the gospel? What is our response to the gospel? John Newton famously wrote Amazing Grace, said this when he was in his old age. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Is that you this morning? Do you understand how great of a sinner you are and how gracious of a Savior Christ is? If you're a believer in the room this morning, man, we look at this text. Do you see the mercy and grace of a holy God this morning? Do you stand in awe of who God is and awe of what God has done in your life to bring you from an unrighteous to righteousness? Does this text create in us a burden for the lost? Yes, yes. We have been saved by grace, so we're not looking like Romans chapter 1 anymore, but man, we are surrounded with people who are still stuck in unrighteousness, who still love unrighteousness, who still are denying the truth about God, suppressing it for a lie. And is there a burden in you and I when we read texts like this to say, man, I need to be a faithful steward with the gospel? Does it bring us to our knees in prayer, praying for the, the names of men and women that we know that need this great salvation in Christ Jesus? We understand for the wages of sin is death. And the free gift of God is salvation through Christ Jesus. That apart from Christ Jesus, everyone we know and love will spend an eternity in hell. Let us be faithful stewards with the gospel. If you're in the room this morning, you're not a believer, you haven't trusted in Christ, 
the, the question is this, the application is this, why? See how great our God is, that he would love, that he would send his son so that you might have life. Edward Mote wrote in, uh, this is a song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, verse 1. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And verse 4, I love verse 4. I sing verse 4 all the time in my head, not out loud because it's bad. But he says this, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Listen, dressed in his, meaning Christ, righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. The day is coming where you will soon die, you will soon perish. Are you dressed in the righteousness of Christ? Are you still trying to ascertain your own righteousness, just spiraling further and further, deeper into sin? I pray for you. I pray again that you would be faithful stewards of the things that you learn, faithful stewards to share the gospel, faithful to be praying for those who need the gospel. We know the gospel saves. Paul, Romans 1.16, he says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to any who would believe. Let us trust in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for texts such as this. They, they are heavy texts to, 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 to read, heavy texts to, to, to sit under, to feel the weight of. Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we, we, we have seen who we are. We have been exposed for who we are apart from Christ. And I pray for those of us who, who claim the name of Christ, who trust in the work of Christ, Father, you would help us to continually uh, give, give thanks for who you are, thanks in, for what you have done. And give us, give us a burden for those who are yet to trust in Christ. I pray for those in the room this morning who, who don't know Jesus, who have not trusted in Jesus, who still trust in their own works, who still trust in the things that are leading to destruction. I pray that you would open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Just as the jeweler replaced that black cloth, Father, we have seen the black cloth, eternal damnation apart from God. Work in the hearts of your people for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.